It's Monday night, and we've got a special episode and a special time of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that mixes politics and comics. Tonight, we're discussing Daredevil uh, with a special guest, Spencer Ackerman. Uh, but before we introduce him, I want to welcome my co-host, Alana. How you doing? I'm good. I'm excited. We uh, are going to be doing a 100% spoilers-focused <laughs> season two episode, so... I want to get folks ready for that. Yes, yeah. Uh, just to warn folks, if you haven't watched Daredevil, you might want to do that, and then you can come back here. We're discussing the entire series from uh, start to finish, and of course, uh, reflect on how it compares to the first season. So uh, we can dive in, but I want to introduce our guest, Spencer Ackerman. He's a U.S. National Security Editor for a Guardian. Uh, he was part of the Guardian team that won the 2014 Pulitzer Prize for Public Service Journalism for reporting on Edward Snowden's disclosures of widespread NSA surveillance. He's a former senior writer for Wired. He won the 2012 National Magazine Award for digital reporting. You can follow him at at Attackerman. Um, welcome, Spencer. Uh, welcome back to the show, I should actually say. Thank you guys for not uh, ruling me completely out of bounds after the last time we did this. <laughs> oh my God, you were amazing! I have to tell yeah. people I was re-listening our last our old episodes in preparation for a piece I'm going to be writing about Daredevil uh, for an ebook that's coming out, and um, we like were really smart. So if folks are new to the show <laughs> and they might not have listened to the other Daredevil episodes we did, um, we did one with Scott Eric Kaufman, who was not going to be able to join us tonight, but who will be joining us in the future. Uh, he was our guest for one of our Daredevil episodes last time. And Spencer joined us to talk about Daredevil specifically with respect to torture. Um, as, and uh, they both were such good podcasts. So folks who haven't heard those, one, I listened to season one podcasts. We have two about Daredevil. And you were an awesome guest. And we're very happy to have you back. Thank you so much. So, so. I, I would say I want to start off kind of the big picture of what you like, not to dive into to like the small details and all that. But as a whole of the season, what did you two think? I'll let you start. Sorry. Spencer? Who, who, who do you want to start? start? Spencer. Spencer, go ahead. Okay. Um, I thought it was excellent, really, from, from start to episode probably 11. Um, it's a much more well-realized show now in the second season. Everyone feels more lived in in their characters. Um, it it really hung a whole lot that it had to do together, uh, in particular introducing in, in a lot more of a fulsome way magic into this universe, which, which we definitely haven't had, certainly for the, the street-level characters, um, but seems to be a lot of where the MCU is going after, after Civil War with, with Doctor Strange and then uh, with Iron Fist. Um, the last couple episodes didn't really work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it seemed from both the set piece battles to the kind of broader teams, like it didn't kind of knit to the end well. But I might just be saying that because of just how elevated this season was. Um, it, we, we can get into you know some of the themes later, but as long as we're giving kind of overviews, um, I hate the Punisher. I, I think yep. the Punisher is a loathsome character. Uh, he's, I think, one of one of comics' most embarrassing mistakes 
regardless of how popular he is. But my God, John Bernthal gave us a great <laughs> rendition of The Punisher. Um, if you're going to do this character, that's about as ideal a performance as I could ask for. And this, this show just doesn't work nearly as well and just isn't remotely as interesting and the MCU just isn't remotely as interesting without Elektra. And the performance that Elodie Young gave is probably the, the most memorable aspect of the whole show. Huh. Huh. So uh, I agree with a lot of things you said. Um, I think the show is incredibly well made. The cinematography is still fantastic and artistic. The acting quality is universally outstanding. Um, there's a number of narrative choices the show make that are bad, and um, there is like a huge, just gaping, horrible race problem throughout this entire season. That's that's been there the whole time, but it's particularly pronounced, I think, in season two. Um, I really miss some of the more civic-oriented themes from season one. I I knew it would be too much for me to expect a whole another season of a TV show dedicated to the evils of real estate developers, because that only happens when I'm the ruler of the world universe. Um, so I, I knew that I wasn't going to get that again. But um, I was hoping if, if, if we were going to be switching to talk about the Punisher, and the Punisher really is the major thing of the season, that we would have more of a serious conversation around policing, and we don't. Um, and if you're going to have Punisher and you're not going to talk about policing, then you're, and it's like 2015 when this is shot, then you're missing out hugely. And if you're going to do a show like this and you're not going to like handle race, then you're missing out on a huge opportunity. But the show is still very entertaining. It's just that my response to this entertainment is by and large to scream about how they're fucking these various things up in terms of the, the social conversation that could be happening around it and those opportunities that aren't being taken in the show. Um, but yeah, John Bernthal's performance as Punisher, and I hate Punisher, um, John Bernthal was amazing. Like, I mean, all the performances were great. The, the thing that made me actually disagree with you, uh, Spencer, is I don't think Electra is, mm-hmm. I think the actress is great. I don't like the characterization of Electra whatsoever. Um, I think she is just a stereotypical, like exotic female, um, you know, or dangerous quote Oriental woman who can't control her uh, like dark side. I, I think she's just all these bad tropes, and um, I. I I think she did as great as a job it could be done. I mean, and as a fighter, you can really tell this is a woman who can, who can fight uh, the actress. I mean, Elodie Young, it's great, but it's also like, okay, so we're, we're getting, we're getting a, a, a non-white character in the major role here. And she's going to be exoticized and she's sort of a ninja, just like everybody else who's Asian in this show. Um, and I, I, I'm, I like the character Electra. Um, I think she's a very complicated character and I think she's done incorrectly a lot, but um, I was not happy with how the show handled Electra. I think that there's scenes with her that were great. Uh, her and, 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 and Matt really going crazy with each other when they first meet. Like, there's a lot of good things in there, but I, I, I really don't think that she, I, I have problems with Electra and how it was handled in the show. Brett, what do and, you think? Oh, sorry. Well, I, I was going to say before I, I go, and we actually have uh, our other guest who was able to make it. Scott, how are you doing? I'm all right. I, yeah, I. I was having a little bit better. Baseball nightmare, so I'm now awake. Um, <laughs> uh, to not put you on the spot or totally put you on the spot, so we're talking big overall picture. What do you think of the second season of Daredevil? I was very disappointed. Um, 
I really wanted to like it a lot more, but um, it just, I don't, they went in the wrong direction with everything, and 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 I'll you know uh, I'll sort of agree with a lot of things that that you know I hate the Punisher as a character, but oddly they did him the best, and I think that's the most condemning thing about the season. Like mm-hmm. they 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 could have, I mean they should have dug into Foggy. I mean honestly that's really, I I I have no idea how they were watching like the Daily Reels and didn't kind of recognize that that Foggy is the heart of the show, um, and that everything can revolve around him um, and make it more into like a legal drama because that was the most interesting part of it for me. Um, the the hand was mishandled. Uh, sorry, again. Oh, very, oh, very, 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 very tired. Very tired. Um, I didn't, for those of you who don't, yes, for those of you who don't know, I had surgery and it didn't go well. So I'm, I'm very tired. But um, uh, yeah, I just, I, I thought the hand should be menacing. I mean, look at look at what DC has done with the League of Shadows, both in you know the Batman franchise and and on Arrow. Um, you know, you have no idea what there what there is. There's sort of this you know implied hierarchy to it, where you know you know Rachel Ghoul's at the top, and then you know in turn is warfare underneath. But it's still there's a menace. To it, and the hand was just like we dug a big hole, and you're like, <laughs> okay, and I mean, do something with it. There's actually there's this great Ben Catcher comic from the like late '90s when he was still doing Julius Nipple real estate photographer, and it's the most horrifying thing to me. It was called the Deep Tub, and it, it, it was this you know guy showing off an apartment in this tub that just went down like into the bowels of the earth. I had nightmares about it for months. I'm like, oh yeah, he made a big hole like that. Or you know, Buffy, the Hellmouth, big hole. I mean, you can do so much with that, and they did did nothing. I mean, it was it was. Why are ninjas digging a hole? (laughs) Could uh, could I jump in for one sec? Yes. Yeah. Brett, I'm very sorry. I definitely want to hear your overview impression for (laughs) for what you thought of, of, of of season two, but just real quick. Might some of the problem that that um, you're outlining, Scott, um, and a lot as well from your from your you know thoughts about Electra, with with the second season that they kind of are introducing a lot of table setting themes because the the stuff that I that I took away from from what the hand was doing um, seems to be setting up or at least leaving the show an option to take a lot from both uh, the Born Again storyline. And then 30 years mm-hmm. later with the Shadowland storyline. And yes. specifically Sh- Shadowland being um, the kind of hand roll here. So whether we get that in Defenders or we get that if they make a third season of Daredevil um, in the third season, maybe do you think that might redeem some of the, the elements that you're talking about? And, and well, I, I'm willing to get that. I, I, do, I do believe they're doing it. I don't I don't think it's against the rules for me to say this. I do believe they're doing a third season of Daredevil. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that's pretty much a given, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, so I, 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 I agree. I agree with you there. Um, it's just like, if I didn't, if I hadn't read born again, like if I, if I wasn't, you know, if I just wasn't familiar, 
I mean, with good God, I mean, how? What is it? I mean, Born Again is like what? Like it's two it's old. two twenty-seven through like two thirty-five or something. Like it, it's it's a long time ago, and if you're not familiar with it, it, it it's all just going to seem random. And they did a good job at sort of closing those plot holes, and in in, or at least suggesting closure in the first season. Whereas here, I mean, and maybe it just is, you know, the, the foreknowledge of having another season and, you know, them saying, all right, we're just going to tease a whole bunch of things. And then. Oh. Uh, I think the only thing that makes the place setting be potentially okay at all is that if we were going to have, and we're not an Asian American, Danny Rand, then when they're fighting right. against the hand and these, the defenders team, at least you wouldn't be having an entire situation where all the Asian people were villains. You would have at least one hero. But since they cast a white guy as him, then I don't really see how any of the place setting. And I think that it's true. Like these elements are set in there to be developed later. I think that they are referencing the same exact storylines that you cited. Um, but it's still going to like be paper thin and like really pale and it's portrayal if it's not going to also, you know, make those changes. Um, but yeah, like I, I, so, 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 so Brett. I mean, if they told this is like Daredevil season 2.0 and we were going to get 2.5 later, I, I might not have these complaints. I mean, mm-hmm. because I, if they explicitly said this is table setting um, instead of, because <clears throat> it just all seemed open and, meandering to me. Uh, well, I, they almost had some very plight, they almost had some very tight storylines there. Like, when th- there were moments where you where the Punisher storyline could have ended and could have concluded for the season. Um, I was surprised to see the Punisher show up again in the last two episodes. And in fact, I think bringing him back in the last two episodes sort of offered him a, uh, a finale that was not deserved by the character's role in the story that I think undermines Daredevil as being a character who we're supposed to like think of as in positive contrast (laughs) to the Punisher. Um, But that almost had a solid conclusion, you know, Uh, and and then they undermined it by bringing him back. I thought there was a, another moment that would have been a conclusion with foggy for the season that they then undermined. It's sort of, it's almost like it had a false stop in the middle of it. Well, I mean, I think they pretty clearly divided it into little four-episode chunks, right? Um, but they were thinking people are going to binge-watch this about four episodes at a time, so we'll do three mm-hmm. mini-storylines, um, right? So, yeah, I, I mean, the Punisher one pretty much concludes, and then, you know, we get the Electra one. And then, so um, I, think they, I think they thought about this as, like, these discrete units. Brett, what was your overall thought about the season? Um, I really loved the first four episodes. Well, first I'll say I probably in the minority of I, – I like the Punisher as a character. Um, I don't think he's necessarily been handled right, but for what he is is basically Charles Bronson, Death Wish, done comics. Like, he's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, there's been runs, I think, that were really kind of, kind of entertaining if you just like violence for violence sake. Um, I mean, I – read the Punisher. That was a comic that I consistently read as a kid. Uh, might be why I'm a little twisted as an adult. Um, so I, I well, now we know why you came out wrong. All right, go on. <laughs> uh. 
between that and R-rated movies at, like, whatever, five. That's probably the thing. Uh, so the first four episodes I thought were really great, and John Berthold was amaz- is amazing in the character. Um, for the last, whatever, nine, um, the, the court aspect I loved, and I think was really great, and I'm totally with Scott that if they focused on that, it would have been a much stronger season, uh, especially if you just had Matt going off and fighting and trying to balance court and being a superhero um, instead of being kind of uh, sidetracked to uh, everything else he got involved with. Um, I think as a whole, the series tried to do too much, and it failed uh, and I really want to hear what Scott's opinion at one point uh, about this is I think the series tried to do too much visually and story-wise. And it kind of instead of being in Hell's Kitchen and claustrophobic in many ways, they pulled back and tried to have this bigger world of a story. And they also did that visually uh, many times with tons of space that I hmm. just think kind of like reiterated that. And I, overall, like the way I would describe it, season one is Batman Begins. It was a decent origin story. It kind of got him going. And then season two is The Dark Knight in that they had way too much in there, too many storylines. The last you know quarter of it definitely didn't need to exist. And it was an attempt to set up what's to come, um, which made it a bit of a weaker story overall. Um, and, you know, Hopefully they stick the landing with whatever is to come uh, with Electra and the giant hole and defenders, but you know, on its own, I, I'm just not a fan. I, I've said to people, oh. I'm like, watch the first four episodes and then stop watching the rest of the season. Um, I think Electra it, was hor- horrible as a, as a character. I really didn't like anything, even her acting. Um, she, really? She, my, yeah. She, she, I kept on describing her as um, Catherine Zeta Jones and high fidelity. I just did not like her at all, and maybe that is her acting, but I think the way the character was written, like, I don't see why Matt would be interested in her, in her at all. Um, Whoa. Really? No, that... no, 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 Whoa. yeah. Oh, Whoa. All right, all right. Spence, all right, you, you, you take this, because I, I, I think we're about to say the same thing, so. Yeah. Okay, so, one, just from, from a very base heterosexual male perspective, I get exactly why <laughs> Matt would, would uh, be completely, not just crazy for Electra, but like driven to distraction by her. Uh, it's precisely the sort of contrast in terms of uh, her unrestrained appetite versus his deep repression and feeling guilt. Um, I, I love that interplay. Second, uh, to bring in, perhaps unfairly, a perspective from someone who, who hasn't really come to this through, you know, decades of, of reading comics and, and being familiar with these characters. Um, my wife is crazy about this series. Just <laughs> absolutely taken with it in a way that while she likes a lot of non-superhero comics and, and, and likes a lot of MCU stuff, um, she's taken a daredevil uh, in a way that, that I didn't expect and with, with deep intensity to the point where uh, we had a bunch of friends from out of town staying with us this weekend and we had all these plans for what we were going to do and she was just like, but what about watching Daredevil? How do you feel about doing that? Um, <laughs> so this was a huge hit for her um, and she comes uh, with a with a, a great deal more uh, film background than, than I do. Um, and in particular, uh, the Electra character really sold the show for her this season. Uh, she, she just took to that character 
both in her unrestrained and uninhibited attributes, uh, her badassness, and particularly the line, you know, you can't mask that ass, uh, as, as, as just something that, that she just found um, appealed to her in a way that not many characters um, in, these, in these shows or in these movies really spoke to her. And, and I, don't, I don't mean that in, you know, anything beyond, like, the, the sociopolitical aspects of, of the characters or, or um, with, with what she was into, or, or I don't think she would necessarily disagree with, with your points about her portrayal, uh, Alana, but uh, this just really clicked for someone who came into it without a lot of background in, in, in the comics. Hmm. And the only thing I'll add to that is, uh, the backstory between them, I think, makes it abundantly clear why Matt is still hung up on her, you know, years yeah. later. Um, just, it, you know, as Spencer was saying, like, the, the, the relationship between her sort of unbridled joy in, in, in this violence and then Matt's, you know, very, very, and again, we're getting back to the born again uh, plotline, right? His very deep-seated repression. And uh, I thought that was, that that was where she was. That's where I liked her in the show. It was it was not the the present day stuff, which was sort of too wink wink, like Anne Hathaway in The Dark Knight Rises. Um, really? You know, I'm just really good at this. Like I just I kick ass. Like I didn't like that, but I loved the stuff about them as children, like breaking into rich people's houses and you know throwing down glasses and it just it, it that had an appeal. Um, as, as 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 not just you know, not just because I want to like burn shit down, but uh, just because you could see why why Matt would want to be with someone like that, and then oh how do I put this? Okay, so Matt has two women in his life, one of whom will protect him, one of whom he has to protect, and and mm. and he's torn between these you know, these options and, you know, he, he, everything in his, in, in his character is telling, telling him to be the protector. But there's this little part of him that just wants the, that does want to be protected and, and, you know, listen to Foggy and just give up and, 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 you know, let the people with actual superpowers, uh, handle these, these issues. Um, I mean, all I have to I, say I, is that when she gets, when she's die, well, she doesn't really die. Cause she's obviously coming back, but when she gets side uh, in her la- in the last episode, she says, I now know what it feels to be good. Does it always hurt that much? And it's like, really? Do, is that, you now know how it feels to be good because you're going to talk about yourself in those terms. That's like not a person. That's not. No, that- that, that's a caricature. I mean, that is, that is, but that's exactly like someone who was raised like her. That, that's something someone who was raised like her would say. Like she has, this is what it feels like to be good. It's like, no, you walked the fucking dog. That's all you did. You just walked the dog. Um, that's not what it actually means to be good. That's not what it means to sacrifice. Your, you know, um, like she hasn't earned it yet. Um, well, I mean, she or, dies in that as what they were thinking she does, but it's just like mm, it, just, it just seems so like, and it like it seems so much like she's like intellectually damaged or something to be talking like that. I I I think that it's just such like a she's not a she she, she is as she is officially an object in the eyes of the hand, 
Um, and I like in the beginning when she's first introduced, I do, you do literally of her and him as a kid, like you have this moment of her feeling like she is a character who has agency and dynamism and is here to change Matt's life to like break him out of his repression. But then it apparently she's actually there to lure him into bad things because, you know, the exotic woman is dangerous and will lead you to do bad things. Uh, and he has to go and reject her because she's truly bad and marked. And she has to be sent away so he can go back to being a good Catholic boy. Like it's this is just, based on a Frank Miller book, remember? Like no, I mean it. Is, it absolutely yep. is. Um, <laughs> it, 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 I, I, I think we we need to remind the audience. You know, there's 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 a hole in the heart of the book as well. Um, it's mm-hmm. just handled better back then. I don't know. I but I thought the actress did a great job. Absolutely. I I do want to make sure that we get to talk about Punisher a lot because I had this moment when I went to go watch. I hope, I hope folks don't mind if I jump to that. I just know we all have a lot to say about Punisher. I imagine uh, specific to the show. I'm hoping because doing a whole conversation around Punisher as he exists in all comics would be a whole another shebang. But um, when I was when I was uh, Getting ready to watch the final episode yesterday, I said to my husband Frank, who actually also grew up reading Punisher. He has an affection yeah. for wearing black T-shirts with skulls on them. They like, but that's really where the similarities <laughs> in. Um, I said, "Hey, we, what time are we going to watch Punisher?" And then he was like, "You, you mean Daredevil?" I'm like, "Yeah, Punisher. I mean, I mean Daredevil. Punisher was the star of the season, undoubtedly, and Punisher as a as a character, I think exists." as his best in a literary form opposed to Spider-Man, because Spider-Man is truly his opposite. I mean, Daredevil, because Daredevil goes around torturing people, is kind of, Daredevil likes to view himself as being an, in opposition to, um, to Punisher, and this, this season tried to sort of set them up as opposites, but it actually valorizes Punisher in the end of the day. Um, it, you know, he gets, he's in the last episode even, he gets to, Say you know, see you see you soon, Red, and act like there's a sort of reckoning between them. And if if Dare if what Daredevil, Daredevil believes is real, then Daredevil cannot be okay with Punisher. Um, so a, cu- you know, a couple of things yeah. on that. Well, I'm, I'm the expert on torture here, so I'm now I'm going to throw it over to Spencer. Um, <laughs> well, I, I don't even want to go into torture for a second, but if you guys want me to, I'll I'll, I'll definitely do that. Um, go for it. It didn't make any sense to me why the Punisher is watching this final fight between lots of ninjas kicking each other and just doesn't make it a bloodbath. <laughs> like, what, what? You're the Punisher. Like, yeah. you just, you know, murder people. Um, so I didn't quite get that. It, it definitely struck me that, um, I think, Brett, you were making this point earlier. If they just left the Punisher storyline uh in the in the Kingpin episode where he gets out of prison thanks to the Kingpin's largesse and he's kind of manipulated and he he sees like there's there's some uh, sick value in working at least tacitly um, al- along with the Kingpin and that's the last we see of him. Yes, that that would have been a much more satisfying resolution. I think we didn't have to go into this deeply weird and ultimately unsatisfying, I think maybe you guys disagree, plotline with Clancy Brown and the Blacksmith, um, that just didn't really uh, work for me. I agree. Uh, yeah. And then the, the, the third episode, which I think is just one of the best things, notwithstanding how I feel about the Punisher I've ever seen in the MCU, is an almost straight adaptation 
of, I think it was 2000 or 2001 when Garth Ennis was doing the Punisher Max book and they have Daredevil chained up on a roof. It's, it's nearly panel for panel, almost uh, word balloon for word balloon. Uh, issue, um, episode three, that scene. Um, in, and it's not a Daredevil comic, it's a Punisher comic. And nearly every aspect of that scene is set up in the comic to make you see that Daredevil is a pathetic joke, and he's played for laughs. It's, it's one of the, the weirder things I thought um, that they chose to adapt because part of what made that scene work so well is that you get that Daredevil is completely fooling himself. This, of course, is a Garth Ennis comic, so it, it, it comes a lot from, from his particular perspectives on, on heroism. Um, and that, you know, Punisher is complete psychopath. Um, and and to, to have that scene recontextualized for a for for a daredevil show. See, I did what what your husband Frank did. Um, mm-hmm. No, no, that was me. I'm show. the one who got it wrong. <laughs> and then and then with all of the humor stripped out, struck me as as a as a really weird choice and, and underscores your point, Alana, that uh, this was kind of a backdoor pilot for you know what what will probably inevitably be. Uh, you know, Netflix's Marvel's The Punisher at some point. Um, but at the same time, the fact that, you know, Daredevil found a way out of, of, of the trap and out of the scenes from Castle's perspective struck me as about the best way you could have gotten Daredevil through this, this thorny problem. Um, and then, of course, Daredevil, you know, was a torturer. So we're, we're really talking about a, a, a very thinly sliced degree of, of, of moral. Uh, inequity when it comes to these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree that that's by bringing the Punisher back in the end, they gave Punisher a pseudo heroic ending rather than having him leave under the gall, under the pall of having been Kingpin's stooge, um, which I think would have been the best ending for him. Bringing him back for the whole thing with Clancy Brown, the way too convenience, conveniently located. I mean, really ridiculously implausibly conveniently located blacksmith plot point. Bringing Clancy, bringing him back in the last bit. Punisher is the hero. He gets to leave a building that's exploding like twice. Uh, he gets to say, see you soon, Red. He, nobody ultimately questions him or undermines him. He comes out on top. And, and the fact that he wasn't shooting ninjas when like he doesn't treat, I mean, ninjas are not treated as human beings. Like they're treated as human beings for like five seconds by, by, uh, by Daredevil. And then it's sort of like, well, maybe they're not really people, which is really hilarious when we have Asian people who are talked about as not really being people. Let's not look at that at all critically. Um, uh, but so, you know, and, and then, then he suddenly isn't going to shoot, go in and make that into a, a rooftop blood pad. It's all very strange to, to do that. I think that the show is definitely in love with um, Punisher in, uh, in a way that's not, that's not good. Like, I, I, but I agree that it solved the Ennis problem um, in a way that was able to make Daredevil look like a hero, at least briefly, before undermining it later in the season. I do want to quote something from John Berenthal, an interview he gave. Um, he said, uh, Punisher is a character that means a lot to a lot of people. This is a character that's been revered and respected and adopted by members of law enforcement and the military. And I look at it as a responsibility. So, Oh. That's, yeah, I mean, it, but, it's, but it's true. And that's a like, it's like, yes, your police terrible. department thinks that this guy who goes around killing people with no judge, I mean, of course they do, because they go around shooting people with no judge and jury, like, just fucking shooting people. And Walk I around think with that, a Blackwater t-shirt on. 
Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah, I know it's defunct, but I mean, it's the same. I mean, same yeah, thing. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I mean, uh, I think that, you know, the Punisher, like, is a great character if you're going to use him as a, if you're going to treat him as a bad guy, because he's a fucking bad guy. Um, and, and, but they don't. I, they really don't. Well, I guess we have to I mean, start that's, with kind of oh, sorry, I guess we just have to start with that acknowledgement, notwithstanding my perspective on the Punisher. For you know, everything Burnsall is saying is right from Marvel's perspective, mm-hmm. from the casual fans' perspective, from the hardcore fans' perspective. Whether you want to call him an anti-hero or a redeemed hero or just a straight-out hero, that is the the way the Punisher is operated in the comics. That uh, the better stories I find are when, you know, the ones that, you know, just drive a truck through that presentation, he never really quite has the villain turn um, unless, you know, you want to start applying some, some critical reasoning uh, to, to what he actually does. But I, I suppose we just have, you know, those of us who, who dislike the Punisher have to just start from the perspective that his presentation in the MCU is just going to be fundamentally dissatisfying because he has to operate as a hero by the rules of the people who created him and who are making these shows and these movies. But he doesn't I mean, Marvel doesn't treat, or Sony or whatever, doesn't treat Venom like a hero. Like they're capable of their having, of having a character who thinks they're the good guy and isn't fuck Kingpin thinks he's a good guy and he isn't. Um, the show yeah, but they never have... did like a. I mean, I mean, you remember that 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 the creepy ass like I think it was the second Punisher series. It was, it was Jim Lee's Punisher's War Journals. Yeah. Yep. Where he was he was doing like dialogue from you know Apocalypse Now, except <laughs> it was urban warfare. And I mean, even as a kid, I was I was like eleven years old reading these, thinking this is wrong. You don't look at your neighbors like this, like. Everyone is a potential yeah. target. Everyone's a potential threat. You have to it's like, no, this is bad. Um, yeah, no, Marvel has had this character wrong for so long. Um, uh, I was about to say, well, isn't that just an issue with the character? I mean, if you take him as the fundamental of this guy was at a park, his family gets killed by the mob, and he's out for vengeance, and that that you know, once he finishes with the mob, he then turns it to all criminals. I mean, it's a death wish. Like, it's it's all mm-hmm. the 70s macho films, uh, 70s and early 80s macho films that, you know, were blockbusters back then. And then they flipped it at some point, and they just haven't known what to do with him. I mean, I think one of the the best uses of him was the, the few times that, I think during Civil War, when, like, Captain America had to deal with the Punisher and was just like, I don't like you. I don't like anything you do. And the Punisher's like, well, I'm going to go yeah, and help you out. Up. Yeah. And like uh, I'm gonna help you out, and Captain America's like, no, like don't do no. this. You are, <laughs> and then kind of like at times is like, well, you're gonna do this. I, yeah, and you could see like he was torn at like this, uh, his use of it. And I actually thought that was the one of the more interesting things when they were using it, using the character. Right. Yeah, he, 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 he was like, get the fuck out of here. You yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, they could have treated him the way they hate the way other movies have treated Venom. 
they don't have to act like he's an anti-hero. They can make him be a sympathetic villain, which is like what you're supposed to do with somebody who goes around shooting people because they think that they are, you know, the word of God. I, somebody on Twitter actually asked Tahanisi Coates if he would consider making a black punisher. And of course my jaw dropped. And of course Tahanisi Coates was like, no, it doesn't no. work that way. And oh, you know, no, I just no. wanted to say, right. Because punisher can't there be black. There was one though. Oh, but, there was yeah. a black punisher. Well, that's the fucking worst idea ever. Who, yeah. who wrote it? Was it written by a black writer? Because I couldn't find uh, it. I, I'm, I'm Googling it. Keep on talking and let, let me I Google it. I need to know. There, there was oh, my, no. He enters, he enters the page, assumes that he's right, and that everybody will think that his ruling on who is good and who is innocent is, like, what stands. You know? Well, I, mean, and, the, I mean, the Punisher is, like, the walking epitome of white privilege. I mean, you don't... Exactly. You, you, you the can't real make white a... Punisher. Yeah, the real life Punisher we know. His name is George Zimmerman. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. Bernie Getz. Or mm-hmm. yeah. yep. <laughs> I was at least happy the show mentioned Bernie Getz for one second. Like five people DM'd yeah. me when it happened. I was like, yes, they did mention Bernie Getz again early in the season. I, they were handling him better. Like they were like, yeah, but um, but you know, like that. But that's the piece. Also, it's like if you're gonna have Punisher, you have an obligation to talk about race, and they just the show never talks about race. And when race is very apparent in the show by like having all of the Asian people be villains, including Electro, frankly, then you're fucking up. I mean, the other thing is that like when Punisher is introduced, he is doing the horror movie thing of putting people on meat hooks. And the people who are on meat hooks are Mexican. So nobody ever addresses the fact that he, again, like he treats brown people as meat. He doesn't put the kitchen Irish on Well, well, he also, I mean... He's just taking out the three gangs that took out his family. I mean, he, he didn't he put the, the Irish, Irish very well He shot them. Right. He didn't put them on meat hooks. Like, it's like war versus, like, cows. I think that they could have used that as a point to, like, illuminate, like, see how he's crypto-racist, because but that was never going to happen. But he fucking is. I, um, speaking of, if, if I could – sorry, did someone else want to go? No, go ahead. As what well, you know – uh, something else that, you know, once we're talking about race in this show, we should bring up. Um, man, Chuck Barrett has it bad. Like, I, I would love in either the third season or if we get, you know, some kind of Daredevil season 2.5 and either Iron Fist or The Defenders, we get, like, one episode told from Turk Barrett's perspective. Because, mm. like... <sighs> Daredevil to her. Like, this guy is, like, in the first episode, Turk is giving him information. Freely, he's cooperating. Daredevil is getting what he wants. And then, like, he breaks Turk's hand. Breaks anyway. his wrist, yeah. Like, throws his keys into the river. Um, and then we see, like, Daredevil is kind of begging him at, like, oh, sorry, he's begging Daredevil. Like, he's on, he's on paper. Like, he's, he's you know, going to get parole violated. And Daredevil just does not care about that at all. And, you know, we, we, we see from, from the end how they bring, they bring him back in, and, like, he has a, a kind of heroic moment with ultimately sacrificing both his, his, his life potentially and definitely his freedom by turning, by turning his, um, his ankle bracelet back on. So he's going right back to jail, probably mm-hmm. the jail that, that, um, that Kingpin is in and that Punisher is broken out of, which I, I guess is Rikers, but I'm not really sure. Um, yeah, but you know, like Turk is not a good guy. He's clearly a crook, but he's also not a terrible guy. 
And Daredevil does not draw, for, particularly for a Catholic, and particularly for someone who's, who's trying real hard and devoting a lot of energy to distinguishing himself from both the Punisher and from Elektra, he, he's capable of no empathy towards this guy at all. I mean, he's the punchline, right? He's he's the he's the last man standing, and any time Daredevil enters a room and beats the crap out of everybody else, and then he's like, "Turk, come on, Turk," you know, and they yeah. they just they didn't play that well. Uh, oh man, you know, I, I hadn't thought, I, I actually hadn't thought. But yeah, brutality against black. I mean, seriously, like brutality against black bodies in this show is played for laughs, and it's never actually addressed as like this is a problem and it has every opportunity to, and it could be very interesting if it did. Um, and yeah, I thank you for bringing the whole thing with Turk up because like there, there, there's so much to be said about police brutality that could have been said here that wasn't. And, you know, if, like it's, you know, John Berenthal's quote about like how law enforcement treats him is completely accurate. Um, I wish he didn't view it as responsibility. I wish he had he said it, of course, and it's a Shonda that they feel that way, but you know, but um, I guess he doesn't. He doesn't have the same you know, social Jewish perspective I have. But like, it, well, let's, you... be, let's hang on one second. Mm-hmm. Let's let's be generous to John Bernthal. When you do these kinds of publicity tours, you know you're not there to to crap on the characters. Like it's, yeah, it's pretty circumscribed. So like maybe you know, I just don't want to go overboard with you know the thing that he's probably just doing because Marvel is telling him he has to do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, the point. Yeah, I mean, okay. yeah. I'm not leading a parade against him, Lord knows. But um, but yeah, like it's just a problem to have no police brutality conversation if you're gonna if or just sort of leave it in a position where we as the viewers are assumed to sort of laugh at it and not question it. And and they they did address this sort of obliquely though, you know, with Night Nurse and with with her comments, you know, to uh, to Foggy about. You know, there are a lot of the a lot of the right people are coming in here broken, and I, I don't remember if that's the exact line. But yeah. Something close to that because it sort of stuck with me. And, uh, but she's like, yeah, well, you know, you, you know, our mutual friend is doing something right because the the right people are coming in. And then Foggy had his big moment, which I think was actually the highlight of the entire season. Um, Foggy's um, mutual, or, or or I guess. De-escalation of of the the knife fight in in the emergency room. That was um, great. I lo- I mean that, I just I love that. That was the most purely uh, heroic moment in 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 the show to date, and just by far. And if we're supposed to take seriously the idea that we can we're supposed to overlook a lot of what superheroes actually do and how they perform self-appointed vigilantism tasks because of what they're supposed to inspire in people. Foggy nailed that, and and all the more important that he's the one who is the same character. He's the one who's the most confident character. He's the one who I think Scott you said was the moral center of the show, and that's absolutely right. And it's because he is so firmly anti Daredevil. Yeah, I, I and, and I'll just I'll indulge my own nerd fantasy for a second and say like he was channeling the Doctor right there. Like this is. This is how the doctor gets out of things. He talks his way out, right? He's the man who talks. And I, I just, like, ideologically, I, I sort of prefer that approach to, you know, latex fetish and, and jumping off buildings. Um, 
Speaking of. Oh, oh, okay. So Daredevil has a ninja problem. I mean, Daredevil's always had, ever since Daredevil became interesting when Frank Miller took it over, Daredevil's had a ninja problem. And this certainly was a season of ninjas. Um, So many ninjas. Uh, And I think there's a lot of. I think there was not enough ninjas, actually. Really? That was one of my disappointments of it. I think so. Ninjas? Yeah, when well, we get to, so to to lead into that, so that was actually one of my problems with the thing when you, when reading Daredevil the comics and every time you fight the hand or even Wolverine fights the hand, I'm thinking like hundreds of guys are going at him and like all the screen is just filled with people. I kind of said it earlier, there was tons of space in a lot of the fights, um, and it wasn't as claustrophobic. And I just didn't think there was enough, enough people, like enough hand, actually fighting in the games to make it interesting for me. It you wanted like, that old video you know, game Gauntlet, right? Where where there are like yeah, literally yeah. eight thousand approaching I mean, any the one guy true. with the axe that you could press the button. Yes. Yeah. Is that what you imagine? Like, isn't that how you picture it? The first you know, Electra fight scene, the one when they're at the penthouse together. One of the 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 the, the I guess the ninjas quasi hand you know hand guys whatever. Uh, the guys who come up on the on the motorcycle. The guys who are doing the hand job. Right. Like, okay, yeah. Um, like, that one of them point. actually Sorry. sits on the kitchen island while the other fights. Like, yep. like they, they truly are just like waiting in succession. When, like, you don't know, just, just attack these guys. I, I, what I'll say about the framing of their shots is that I mean, we're going to do this thing later with, with, with Phil Abraham. I hope I hope that works out. Um, the guy directed, like, the, I think three of the four first episodes. But he but he was saying that, you know, their desire to mimic the framing from the comics um, means that they needed a lot of space around Daredevil because his whole body is always in the panel. And, and apparently Frank Miller spent a lot of time um, doing... Oh, this sounds creepy now that I say it, and also because it's Frank Miller. But um, doing studies of gymnasts in action and then drawing them, and and he always wanted to include as much of their body in the frame in in, in every panel as he could. Um, and so a lot of that open space that you're seeing is is, is the director's you know the director's books uh, their desire to to sort of mimic that. So it's hard to get a lot of hand in the a shot if you're also trying to you know make Daredevil and Electra look like they're doing violent ballet um, and, it's, and that's just sort of like on a practical level uh, but I, that said I, I, I thought there were moments where I was just stunned by the quality of the choreography like some of those fights oh, yeah. episode 3 I'm, oh my, oh my god yeah. we're going to do old boy except vertically like <laughs> Well, I mean, some yeah. some of that stuff. Sorry, go on. Oh, okay. Um, that one scene that they try really hard to do with as one big shot, although you can sort of see where they're cutting away when the camera sweeps kind of up and down, where he's Daredevil is fighting his way oh, yeah, off fighting the down the, uh, down the, the hallway. The, yeah. I mean, look, that was incredible. I, you know, trick me all you like. I, I'm here for it. Uh, I just thought that. If I'm, you know, paying my Netflix subscription money to see a street-level superhero show, that was as satisfying as anything I could have asked for. 
Yeah, I mean, he needed to beat that he, elevator down to the bottom floor. And and when when I was uh, when I talked to Abraham, he was like, "Yeah, we knew we had to top fight scene from you know episode two of season one." Yeah. And and so we we planned it, and that thing, you know, it's all there's no CGI in it, and it is all you know kind of conventional rope type, you know, like the Hitchcock film rope, rope type cuts where it's behind people's backs and mm-hmm. above their heads or in their, um, but yeah, that, I mean, that, that scene is just like, as someone who studies film or I guess used to, whatever, I don't know, whatever the hell I do now, um, when I'm not watching Fox, um, it was ama- just, it was exhilarating. It, and, and it was literally a man going down a stairwell and fighting people as, as he went. And, but it was so, I mean, even my sister who claims not to like these shows, even though she watches all of them, uh, she, she said that she rewound that rewatch it a couple of times just to try to figure out, you know, how it happened. But it was so, in, I don't know. It was, so nicely, so in, you know, in old boy, it's, it's all played for humor, right? It's all I got a hammer, and now you have a hammer in your head, and you now I have a stick, and now the stick is in your back. And but, but here it was not played for slapstick at all, and there was real jeopardy because the camera kept lunging forward, sort of violently, um, along with Daredevil, and I, I just, I also rewound and rewatched it um, numerous times, but. It is again. It's it's going to be a medium long shot because they want to get Daredevil's whole body in it. Because what's the point of of filming Daredevil if you can't show him doing the you know characteristic sort of flying leg kick or the you know the the, the spinning thing? I, I I wish he had that sort of singular pose like Spider-Man, you know, where he kicks his legs out and sticks his hands between his crotch, uh, but. Uh, but I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about. It, it, it was yeah. It was a scene where they were just showing off, like, look at we what we can do with actual people. And you're like, this is just showing off. But at the same time, you just didn't care because they did it so well. Uh, I just yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was alone in my new in my new house, and I, I think I'm. It's possible I stood up and applauded. Um, <laughs> I have no witnesses. And credit where due. They, you know, that that long hallway fight scene in prison that they give to Punisher was, was just an incredible thing to watch oh. and to view. As much as, you know, everyone has, has voiced their, their perspectives on the Punisher, that was just great. And it recalled, you know, one of the, the better um, Ryder Day Daredevil runs, uh, the Ed Brubaker stuff, uh, where, where Daredevil has to break the Punisher out of prison. Which is where I thought they were going to go, but wow, that just worked so well. It, it but was it amazing. also was a nice contrast to season one because the Punisher killed all those people in that hallway, whereas Daredevil didn't. I mean, it's, it's one of those moments where you could tell they're going for the big thing, right? Um, you know, to draw the big also, distinction between these two. Like Daredevil. I also like that. At, at, oh, go on. No, 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 I was going to say uh, quickly. I also like that scene in that they they. Um, at all white, which is also in very contrast yeah. of so much, and then the blood gets splattered out of him. So the white going to the red, I think, is very interesting. 
So all the prison scenes I thought were excellent. There were so many well-shot scenes. I mean, okay, whatever. The show's all well-shot. Every moment that they have, the kingpin in the frame, they're really using his body and his heft to its full effect. Um, I mean, they really nail that. Hey, Brett, speaking of, I thought, I'm just thinking of this right now, and I probably should have caught this before, but the way that they made Frank go from white to all red, that's sort of when they bring the rest of the Punisher story back around that seems to be the moment where they make him more heroic, where, where that arc kind of begins. And, and, you know, they put him in daredevil colors. So I imagine Holy that was, fuck. And, yeah. yeah. So like that, that I, probably, I think that's their uh, attempt. You think what? I think that's what they're attempting to do. Like, that would be my gut. Yeah, my gut is that some yeah. symbolism. So, so you listen to daredevil at the, at, at the grave site and, but sort of got but he doesn't actually act wrong. any differently. Yeah, he doesn't act yeah, no, no, no. like Daredevil. He just, but, but he becomes but a hero. Mind, he he, uh, he yeah, already did. That's not a change for him. And and just the way that that shot operated, it you know, all all of us immediately went to um, the touchstone of, of Daredevil in the hallway in the second episode of season one. So it it, yeah. it seems like that's where they're where they're you know trying to take Punisher. Except minus yeah. all the death. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, because all the people I, sort of I, hilariously get up right? dazed in season one, and those people in that hallway are not getting up. They're yeah, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely not. They're, they're taking a long nap. Um, so since I have three journalists, anyone alive? No. no. Oh my god! Oh no. Can we talk about Karen? Because, oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. So I was going to say, I have three journalists on this show. What do you think of Karen Page's highly accurate journalism career? (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, this got me so much. First of all, how much does every reporter at the Daily Bulletin hate her? She gets gets an office. An office with a door that closes. How how did she jump the line? I mean, that's not an issue at all. Um, we don't know if she can write. I mean, we don't. We find no, out in the final episode that she writes we know. something. She writes but very think, badly. She writes very so bad. badly. She she never <laughs> the end. Like, but um, you know, not the greatest researcher. Um, I'll give her credit for how for how diligent she is. But like, so if I understand this correctly. The only way in 2016 you can research an event that happened in the not-too-distant past is by going to a newspaper's morgue. Like, <laughs> you, can, you can Google absolutely any of that. It, it just struck me as, as nuts. And, you know, there's so much in comic book movies, in, in comic books, in, in comic book movies, in comic TV adaptations, and so forth, um, that rely on having uh, one of the characters or a supporting character be a journalist. And now I am issuing this open plea. (laughs) So many of us are comic fans. Just let us consult for you. I have have actual experience script doctoring. You can ask Armando Iannucci for his movie In the Loop. I've done this before. I can make your journalistic characters plausible. Uh, Yeah. No, no, no! Just keep going. I'm, I'm just gonna laugh along. Uh, I, uh, I, 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 that newsroom. I, that newsroom. My God, 
okay, I get that it's uh, Nelson and Murdoch set at redress, but like, come on, guys, you're, you're probably shooting at Silver Cup and Queen. You can just redress one of the warehouse shots. The the point of the newsroom is openness. It's it, yeah. it's you know, I, I imagine like that you know the Nelson and Murdoch set, which is also the Daily Bulletin set, is probably also Jessica Jones's apartment. Oh, I think definitely it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, don't know, I don't think that's in. I mean, God bless yeah. the show for shooting in New York. Like, there were so many things shot in Industry City. There's so many things that were shot in Long Island City. Like, so many places I can identify. So I appreciate the show for keeping people employed, you know. Um, although I actually felt like the character of Hell's Kitchen was entirely missing from this season. And if Daredevil is going to keep talking yes. about how oh, important it is yeah. for him to save Hell's Kitchen... The show doesn't offer us any reason for him to save it or anything human about it until the finale. And like, we get like a brief little vision of a couple families celebrating Hanukkah, you know, and that's like, that's really, that's really it. And it's sad. Which also, in the first season, we have some moments of like, this is what the community looks like. Here's Mrs. Cardenas. And like, here's people making you halava, you know, like. And what like, is Foggy yeah. lives on the Upper East Side? You know, if they start, I'm sorry, what am I saying? Like, way beyond that, he lives in Spanish Harlem. Like, mm-hmm. the, the show starts out with the two of them walking in the morning from East 118th Street. What? Yeah, kind of a haul. I mean, we, look, we, we all know, and this is kind of a, you know, they, they, they do this to great effect with making this a theme in the first season, but, like, the Hell's Kitchen that they're talking about hasn't existed for 30 years. For a long time, yeah. So, you know, we, 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 we get that we've got a sort of, suspend disbelief in the same kind of way that, like, the most evil place in, in you know, Earth 616 in the Marvel Universe is Canada. Like, yeah. <laughs> Hell's Kitchen, Hell's Kitchen in the MCU is just a kind of nightmare. Yeah. Um, but even but a lot of there was something for you and, um, there, there was, there was, uh, something for you and, and, and your particular blend of, of, uh, of, of, of traitorous politics in here. Um, did you notice <laughs> what, uh, they were doing with uh, the district attorney's career path. Yes. It's Rudy that Giuliani's was... path to the mayoralty. Yeah. I thought that was yeah. great. I wish they had, I, you know, I, I would like them to play that up a little more, but, you know, with the exception of Giuliani being a federal prosecutor, you know, very explicitly, she was cynically going after this, this, this exploitation of a, of a caricature of law and order that's um, preying on, on everyone's most debased fears of living in a of living in a big city, um, and doesn't care who she hurts in the process. Um, so maybe we can mm-hmm. give the show credit for that. They did kill her. Um, <laughs> I, wait, did I say that aloud? You did. You They're did. not going to let me back in New York City. I'm, I'm never going. He's to not in charge anymore, man. Um, He's not oh, in okay, charge. Yeah. But yeah. so the thing is, though, but it still is like, oh look, the face of political corruption in New York is like the brown like uppity woman, you know, I'm, and like the also Brown assistant. And that kind of killed me a little bit. I was like, I, I, I liked that it was the same DA they had in Jessica Jones. Um, you know, I, it, and New York has had plenty of really evil DAs. Um, and, uh, but like, it just is a little bit, I don't know. I just, it was, I, I don't, I don't think that, the show was not clear to me, I think, in what they wanted and what they wanted us to be taking from what she was doing. Like, there, you're, you're sort of unclear as to, like, how is she setting him up? 
is she working with him? Like that whole plot point with her, I think with her relationship with respect to Punisher isn't really resolved until the moment that she dies. And at the moment that she dies, the, st- the show sort of stops considering her as like a force. In an, and um, I, I, I mean, I did think it, but I did think it was interesting that like, this is like what the, you know, that they're doing for, for, for local corruption in this season is this careerist political corruption and that everybody already knows that she's just only out there. But I also look at her and I'm like, yeah, like, well, what else has she had to go on to get to her position? You know, she's not getting into her place in her family name or what have you in this space. Um, really ever explain why she does what she did with the whole cover up? Well, I mean, she, she didn't want people to know that she had overreached and fucked it up. Yeah, she was yeah. covering was- up for her political career, essentially. You know, what? Um, I mean, that was that was that was her great mistake, and then, and, and you know, it got this guy's family. I mean, she it basically, in comic book terms, right? She created the Punisher, and she was trying to hide that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. I think that's just how it sort of worked narratively. Um, One thing this show did this this has probably no greater social significance, so we can breeze past this if you guys like, but. Um, better than any portrayal of Daredevil in the comics that I've ever read. I loved that the show made Matt shitty lawyer. Like, hmm. that was the most believable thing for me. That, like, you know, all the lawyers I know are as obsessive about lawyering as Matt Murdock is about Daredeviling, and there's just no room that you can do both. And, you know, he's, he's left his best friend um, holding the bag on this incredibly important case um, and just doesn't bother with it and then tries to kind of talk his way out, kind of gaslight both Foggy and Karen about it. Um, I thought it was great. I thought that was one of the, the, the more believable aspects of what a Matt Murdock character would actually be like. He would just be a bad lawyer. Yeah, I'd be totally down for an entire season of Law and Order, um, Murdock and Foggy. I could get behind that. I was glad they folded. I I was so glad they folded. I I agree, but I also was so glad that they folded the firm this season because it's so freaking ridiculous. Their their business model never made any sense. If they wanted to be like defense lawyers for the indigent, that's something you do by working for a nonprofit organization. God forbid a TV show show anything. Guy dresses up in a leather suit and jumps off buildings and beats up bad guys. Yeah, but I, I'm that's, not sure they're really that's, that's that concerned an, with that's this. An, that's an established that's an established trope. The like, you know, if you want to have uh, defense lawyers for the indigent, work for a nonprofit. And I would have loved to have seen them situated in a situation like that, and actually have like community members who are doing something for their world, like happen, like uh, the people who I work with, you know, be shown in some sort of a positive light for once. But um, but dissolving the firm, like I I like having Foggy go to Hogarth. That completely makes sense, even if I don't think he'd have a a corner office. Um, uh, I'm glad they dissolved the firm. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. I think it's a good starting off place for them to be separate in that. And I think Foggy in general was very good this season, as per usual. Um, Did anyone want either? I'm sorry. Did anyone want? Sorry, uh, didn't mean to talk over. Did anyone want either? Uh, a foggy Electra scene, or a or an Electra Punisher scene, because I felt like they were always sort of like on the verge of giving you, in an organic way, and not so much like a didactic way, 
um, demonstrations of the kind of, of heroism slash anti-heroism that each of these characters demonstrate, but you never get all three of them together. And similarly, on the Matt Murdock side, you know, we know from season one that Foggy at least knows about Electra, And, like, it, it felt like we just needed something that, that would have shown us how, like, the real love triangle is between Matt, Foggy, and Electra, And we never mm. quite get that. Like, I don't buy, I, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I really buy the, the Matt-Karen Page relationship. I definitely don't buy it from Karen's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I definitely buy both the, the Matt-Electra and Matt-Foggy relationship. And I, I just wanted to see those three characters interact. And, um, never quite got it. Yeah, I want to subscribe to your newsletter. Yeah, I mean, that, that, I, that, 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 those are the conversations we wanted to have because they would actually, if Electra talked to the Punisher, if, if Foggy talked to, you know, like, I mean, that would, that would clarify a lot of these themes, you know, that just sort of got muddied by the end of the season, mm-hmm. especially by the, the, the last two episodes. Um, yeah, those were conversations great, that needed to be had. There's a great, so um, there's a great run of Thunderbolt a recent run of Thunderbolt in which uh, Daredevil and Electro are having sex. And, like, you totally would buy that relationship. Like, these you are mean Punisher? Soviet... Punisher, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Saying? You said Daredevil. Uh, and yeah. then, of course, they are. Sorry. Punisher and Electro, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Punisher and Electro are having sex. And, like, you, you just get, like, exactly the way two sociopaths who see the world in very similar ways would use one another. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, you're waiting for that moment on the show where, obviously, like, they don't have to go off of that together, but just they would have some way of, like, either snapping Murdoch into a sense of, of, of purpose again instead of this weird vacillation that he has toward the end where, like, do I go off with, your, do I go off with Electra and blow my whole life up and I don't need to be Matt Murdoch anymore and it's basically just the two of us together, God knows where, and maybe we're part of the chase again. I have no idea where the chase is left at the end of this. Do, do any of you guys have any idea what Black Sky is? The, the, the more I think about no. it, like the further away no. from, from what no. this is, I, I come away with. Not only that, but the whole fight where they kept going back and forth between Stick versus Electra versus Daredevil made less and less sense by the minute. Is Stick just the most insufferable character in the Marvel Universe right now, or is it just me? Like, it just... No, Stick sucks. I'm, yeah, I'm he's very just terrible. <laughs> oh, God. Well, Every time I think we can agree on. The Black Sky, and, like, it's one of my biggest issues, I think, during this season. There's, there's so many plot points that make no sense. Like, why would it be called Black Sky as a whole? And what really was the point of it? And then... The other is the Punisher's just able to walk in it. Like, so the Punisher's clearly running around. They know who he is. The police generally know who he is. Um, but no one's sitting outside his house, like, looking for him. He's walked into his house numerous times. And, like, just no one's there. It's just too many, I think, plot hole, And then literally a giant hole in the ground that's unresolved. Um, there was too much that had me, like, screaming at the screen by the end of the season. Uh, God, it, it, in fact, to just tell one one slightly uh, um, weird baseball story. A couple of years ago, I was I was at uh, opening day uh, at City Field, and and 
there was a guy behind me who was yelling, um, there's a hole in the world where the light gets in. And he just yelled this for like three hours. <laughs> this sort of made me... Guy, I think. Yeah, I just... I, I, I don't disagree. That it, it just, that's sort of what I was yelling at my TV from for the, the, the entire a, second half of the season. That's a song. I think that's Leonard Cohen. No, no, no. There's I know I know the Leonard Cohen song. There's there's a, there's a crack, a crack, and everything. That's where the light gets in. That's yeah. Um, okay, thank you. But but no no no. <laughs> this is this is different. This is just crazy guy. Um, okay, like Stick, um, for example. Oh, wait, and, and I'm not judging of... him. He's a Mets fan, so he clearly has taste. But uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, what, what do you guys think of this? Of, of, I mean, okay, we, we all think Stick doesn't make, is like awful and doesn't make sense. I mean, like they completely shifted Electra's origin story in this. Um, yep. Thoughts? I, I think the Stick plot with Electra makes no freaking sense. Like, so party to like connect with Matt. And like we're 100 percent positive Matt would be at the party, and her whole thing like it just it, it's one of those like really stretchy plot points. Felt like it was it, out of a and, Ratner movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, a whole like I, that's I think a thing with this entire second season for me too is it very it felt very comic booky as opposed to the first season, which actually felt a bit more grounded. Um, this one felt like they were stretching and being like. Uh, and and we're looking more towards the comics of plot story, and it was like you know we're just going to throw it to the wind, and we're not going to answer it, or you know well, don't think too hard because they had to explain, or or they should have explained why there was a giant hole and all these ninjas and, and well the giant hole is mole man, we all know that bodies. that's going to be giant oh, mole man. I don't know, I'm, I'm totally kidding. Now. I give no it if it was. <laughs> it would be awesome if it was. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm sorry, Jock, and I actually hear the I don't know if you can. I apologize. With um, with what they're doing with Stick, the the closest I I, I think I got to, to making sense of it is that like Stick is running this long game where like Electra will turn Matt like fully toward the chase, but like if Electra is the black sky. Then, then why would Stick bother with any of that? Like, Electra is the whole point of his operation, right? Like, yeah. she yeah. is the mission. Like, if anything, like, maybe Stick should be thinking, like, I need to find this really hot and uninhibited guy. And, like, if Electra ever seems like she's going off the path, like, bring him into Electra's orbit so, like, he nudges her back along the way. Like, Daredevil is so beside the point here. I don't understand yeah. at all. What, what, what it's actually like the whole plot is we need to find a sidekick. Like, we got our hero. We need a sidekick. And then that's what we get all season. But right, here's but a fair question. If to make any sense at all, Daredevil has yeah. to be the sidekick, and this is the Electra show. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely the Electra show. Um, here's my question. So if, if Electra's black guy, and it indicates that she is, from what the hand says, towards the end of the number 12 or something like that. Why didn't the hand grab her at any other point in her existence if they knew she was Black Sky? <laughs> ever. Ever. Like, don't wait until she's, like, this amazing assassin. Right. Like, she's, or like, she's, she's going to kill you. Also, it seems like they had this, this whole thing worked out where, like, we desperately need 
Electra alive because she's the black guy. Oh, that didn't really work out, so I guess Plan D will resurrect her. We'll put her in a clay pot and bake her. She's drinking at a hotel. Or at the, I mean, she's drinking at the bar at an airport. Just grab her at the, the, the bar. Like, you've got ample opportunity to snag her at any point. But and no. you literally have unlimited ninjas. Like, yes. Not, not or limited ninjas if you listen to my complaints. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, they, they should have let us write it. We would have done a I'm much better fine. job. Maybe, maybe we can ask that in when we talk to Abraham. They'll let <laughs> us write the next one. Um, what did everyone think but, of King Of what? I mean, he's always amazing. He was wonderful here, and he's always amazing. I mean, I really think they used him to full effect. I loved how they brought it in. I loved the episode that was really focused on him. It was great to have him have a confrontation with the Punisher, and the end of that interaction is where the Punisher should have ended for the season. What do you guys think? I completely agree. I, I, I love I, that. Yeah. yeah. Go on. No, go on, go on. Well, I just loved it in, in the way that a lot of what worked for me about this season was we saw all of these characters in kind of their, their maturity as these characters. And nowhere was that more satisfying than seeing Wilson Fisk as the Kingpin. His plans have already failed for a longer one. He figures out exactly where the weak points in certain characters are so he can exert leverage over them. Like he's really acting like this terrifying thug strategist that um, reflects the kingpin at his most interesting in, in, in the comics. And, you know, I just can't get enough of the way D'Onofrio plays his physicality. Um, he's worked out this style of kingpin fighting where, like, he's beating you like he's a silverback gorilla. You know, both, both fists extended up, slamming down on you, um, and then coming to, like, this great plan and pivoting off of it where first, you know, the Punisher is a loose end, and then it turns out that he's the kind of loose end that's going to stay a loose end. So Kingpin just figures, there must be some way I can use you. Why don't I let you out of prison? And then, you know, you'll probably end up killing some people that I find inconvenient to be around. And then eventually I'll come out and, you know, I'll pick it up from, from, from where it goes from there. I thought it was just a wonderful use of having that character around for, mm-hmm. for one plus episode. And, to, and and okay, one I would totally watch this if it were just his own show. Um, yeah, I like the only season of Profit that that, that ever aired, uh, that old David Greenwald show. Um, but I uh, there's an interview with Vincent D'Onofrio where that where they asked him like how he thought about you know who Fisk you know who Fisk is and 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 he he basically referenced Full Metal Jacket and he's like Fisk is who he is if he had missed. And then Ooh. decided to get out, and I was like, "Oh, wow!" That so that's apparently how he's playing him as as the guy who was a dope, tried to off himself, missed, and then decided he was never going to end up in this situation where other people could manipulate him into doing something like that again. And I was like, "Okay, this." This is now infinitely creepier. And oh, I read that at the end of last season. And so when we got to the, the Fisk episode this, this season, and they just started going through it. Wow, okay. Yeah, that is 
Um, yeah. I mean, it's exactly... It's how you manipulate people into... horrible acts of violence, except not against themselves in this case. But yeah, D'Onofrio, I mean, every interview with him is just like so cerebral, so it's, you know, it's not surprising that he's connecting all of his roles to all of his other roles. But, um... Hmm. My, uh, my friend's younger sister once came up with the greatest poem about Vincent D'Onofrio, I can imagine. Uh, the entirety of the poem goes like this. Vincent D'Onofrio... Take my clothes off, Rio. <laughs> oh, God. I'm on board. Um, but I do actually have to go because my phone is dead and I have no idea where the charger is. So Your phone is dead, but Electra lives. Yes. <laughs> um, this has been great. Great talk to you, Spencer and Brett and Alana. And I will yes. call in again uh, at a later date. Hopefully we'll get the other Daredevil stuff arranged later. And I'm yeah. talking very quickly because I don't want to hang up on you. Okay. So, all right. All right. Cool. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was good. All Thanks right. for joining us, man. Great point. Thanks. Uh, he was entailing that we are in talks with a director of Daredevil to one of the directors to have him come on the show, which I know would be awesome. Um, so, yeah. I'll be um, nice now and stop crapping on it. <laughs> no, I mean, that, no. Well, the thing is, I don't, the direction certainly wasn't the problem. I mean, in all of my, like, critiques of the show, like, it's a terrible treatment of Asians. Actually, I want to say, if you really want to hear an excellent, excellent conversation around, like, from an Asian-American film critic perspective around the show's handling of Asians, you should definitely check out um, the podcast. Uh, it's called um, Cinema Noir. Um, she had a guest on to talk about it. His name is Sean Lau. His uh, handle is at no totally. And he just had <laughs> wonderful, insightful things to say about uh, representations of Asians in Daredevil and Asian Americans in Daredevil. And um, yeah, definitely would like to have that voice weigh in here. Oh, one thing I didn't mention actually speaking though, is like the fact that they did give Nobu a white female deputy was like, it was like so not racist that it surprised me. I was like, Oh look, <laughs> this character who could right. have been a wordless Asian woman is a redhead. That's, that's, that's a thing. Or, or an inscrutable heroin dealer who, like, yeah. you know, we see like painting for, for the only minute she has in the show. Oh yeah. That was pretty awful. Um, she was the one from, to me. Sorry, from the on. first season. She's that was the yeah, one from the first season. Yeah, Madame Gao. So Madame Gao. Yeah, I fully expect it. Like, I think, if I'm not mistaken, is from the the Brubaker mm. fraction. Aha, Immortal Iron Fist. Yeah, she's and she's from Imaginary Kunlun, which is where Imaginary yeah. Iron Fist got his imaginary training at being the best ninja of all, better than all the Asian people. I kind of feel bad for Finn Jones in the sense that, like. This show is this Iron Fist show is never going to work. It's it's kind of doomed from the start uh, to to be like really offensive and 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 just probably straight out racist. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you know, Finn Jones gets this role probably thinking like this is the next phase of his post Game of Thrones career, and like mm, he's 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 walking into a minefield here. Um, <laughs> yeah, like they, they they just I I just don't understand why you're like have Luke Cage by all means 
that doesn't mean we have to have Danny Rand. It doesn't mean we have to have Iron Fist. I I love ninja shows. I love kung fu shows. It's really cool. It's awesome. You could find so many other characters you could do this with. Give me a Shang Chi show. You know anything? Just just uh We're we're gonna just have this awful stereotypical show in which like yet again like the point of all of this kind of mystical you know generically vaguely Asian culture is is gonna center around a, a blonde white guy and uh, why? Especially when so many people I'm the one that doesn't have, have an issue with Well, you. I'm one that actually doesn't have an issue with it. I, so, and it's probably a whole topic for another show. My my take on it is to, I mean, don't do it. That's that's a whole other thing. But I, with the whole Danny Rand having to be having to be white, I think if you change character from white, you also change the Luke Cage relationship with him. And I think there's something to be said about having a white privileged guy teaming up with Luke Cage, who clearly is not. Um, that there's something there and that if it was smart, and I'm not saying it, it will be, but if it was smart, it would explore that dynamic, much like Jessica Jones explored a lot of things. I don't know yes, if he'll do it. But that white uh, person could be Jessica. He doesn't need to have a white character who is inherently problematic and racist in how he's positioned. Like, And it's not like there aren't interesting dynamics to explore between having an Asian character or an Asian-American character, and I like the idea of having Danny Rand as Asian-American specifically um, versus a black character. But if you want to have a conversation between a white person and a black person in that world, you can have it between Jessica and Luke. But, but Jessica Jones isn't a privileged white guy. I think yes. having it as a but She's a as privileged a white, white woman. And, and no, no, no. Like some... Danny Rand is actually – like his, it's a wealthy family. Like he's privileged. Yeah. He doesn't have to have. He doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to be the best ninja. Like having the white kid who is the best ninja, better than all the Asian folks, and in a completely Orientalist fantasy that's like you know hundreds of years old of recycled like racism. Then like it's just it's just a problem. Like I think there's no way that the show could possibly be okay. I, I I can't even imagine how they could do it in a way that isn't racist. Like you know, basically what Spencer was saying. Like if if you are going to have this show where the best ninja is the white kid, you know, I think that, you know, so many people wrote excellent essays about why making Danny Rand Asian American would solve all of the racial problems with respect to the role. I, you know, I don't want to just like restate all their arguments, but I would definitely direct folks to the nerds of color. They had an excellent piece. Arthur Chu has had an amazing, everybody's been writing brilliant stuff about why Asian American, specifically Asian American, Danny Rand solves a lot of these problems. But there's also been um, good writing as to why that's not the case. Also written by mm-hmm. Asians. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Yeah. I didn't, no, I didn't think it was very convincing. I, uh, I, well, I mean, I also do, I don't, I think there is more to be said of having them team up and, and exploring actual racial issues than changing the character and, and forgetting that dynamic or get rid of that dynamic, I guess it would be. But why have him I be would... a martial artist? Just have him be an, an, another white superhero who doesn't have special martial art powers. That's fine. I mean, don't use Danny Rand as a whole, but I mean, it, yeah. I think it's still interesting that you can do it. Like there's still something to be said to have that aspect. And I think it's a very interesting aspect that I, I hope they explore. I really hope if they, they can't. Are. If they can't make Daredevil not be racist against Asian people, then I'm certain they can't make Iron Fist not be racist against Asian well, people. 
so my my hope is that you will see more of a Jessica Jones than this. Jessica Jones was very good talking talking about those topics. And who knows? I mean, it could come on, and it could be everything that we fear. And that's you know, then I'll eat, you know have to eat my words, and and we'll be talking. I'm sure talking about it. But uh, you know, I I'm hoping that they recognize the issues and will address it. I think there's something to be said that they can address it and I do think it. They do very have enough of a track. They do have both enough of a track record um, of of at least confronting some of the, uh, I, I know this word is very overused, the problematic um, aspects of, of various, you know, various Marvel uh, properties. But this just seems like such a self-inflicted error, and, and I'm, I'm just not really sure. I can really live with a Luke Cage show that just doesn't deal with, with Danny Rand at all. That just, like, it's Luke's show, it's Luke's world, it's Luke's setting, it's Luke's problems, it's, it's Luke's supporting cast, you know, a, you know, a Luke Cage story in which the, the main supporting characters are Missy Knight and Jessica Jones, I'm here for that. that would be oh, awesome. absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I hope that's what we actually get, and, you know, we, we don't really get too much of, of Danny Rand. Maybe he's in, he's in Kumun somewhere, Harness and Chi. Um, and, and speaking of that, that track record, um, you know, credit where due, they kind of did the best job I could have imagined of getting rid of, of one of the most offensive aspects of the Punisher character. Not, not eliminating it, but just like addressing it forthrightly. And that's like, the Punisher is a really horrible and harmful stereotype of the crazy veteran. Mm-hmm. The veteran that's the time bomb. In, in many ways, like, lots of that stereotype draw directly from this character itself. Hmm. And I thought they did an admirable job of each time the, the Nelson and Murdoch crew try and make him... Uh, the character that he is because he's shaped by, you know, how awful war is. They gave Frank the agency of saying, like, no, that's bullshit. It's kind of civilian condescension. You have a lack of familiarity with this world, and so you're shoving me into this box. And I, I like that they dismiss it. The Clancy Brown character is terrible for a variety of reasons, but, it, but at least they had Frank just do away with the idea, kind of like directly cutting it off at the past the idea that the Punisher is a psychopath because war makes people into psychopaths. When, yeah. in fact, the overwhelming majority of people coming back from war never do anything remotely like this. Like, it, it you know, it, it was at least one redeeming feature, and you, could, and you could also see very easily how, like, the show could have gotten that very wrong. Like, friends of mine who are vets and comic book fans are probably split um, between how they see the Punisher. Um, but, you know, one, one good friend of, of mine and friend of the show um, who's an Iraq veteran uh, loathes the Punisher for precisely this reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do like that they kept on... I, the thing that I liked about it was that, that Foggy and Karen kept on bringing up and going, hey, we're going to go this route because this is the easy route and we think we can sell it. 
and he kept on saying, no, it's insulting, don't do it. No, it's insulting, don't do it. I, I actually really enjoyed that aspect, and it was, yeah. it's one of the reasons I wished they stuck more with the with the um, uh, actual aspect of the whole trial. Like, I think doing more of that during the trial would have been really, really interesting. And I think it actually was one of the strongest things of the show. Like, they... They they show the the um, the X-ray and they kind of you know hint at the bullet and I know as a viewer was sitting there and be like oh they're gonna chalk it up to like him having brain damage from something and and him being a veteran blah 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 and, like at that point I was actually irritated that they were gonna go that route and then I think they they purposely did that and then flipped it and said did the like no you know it was it was kind of like a faint and hey, we're going to discuss this and bring it up and we're actually not going to go there I, it's, I have to give them a lot of props for that so one final thing i think is worth discussing um and that's very presumptuous of me because this is not my show so you, okay. you know you, you got sorry about that you got hint, hint, i'm out <laughs> worth discussing it so far but um we got that one shot of uh, the anonymous uh, nun who clearly knows Matt and is, is treating his wounds, um, a direct call to, uh, to born again, uh, the, the, the famous Frank Miller destroys Daredevil and builds him back up. Um, so we kind of suspect, I think, well, we have good grounds for suspecting who this character is and how she's going to emerge um, presuming there's a third season of Daredevil or they do, they, they pick up this thread in Defenders or something like that. But um, it's also kind of the one of the worst aspects of, of Frank Miller's um, treatment of women um, in which, like, some of Frank Miller's women are whores, others are Madonnas, and then there's a third category that's books. And, and like, here that character is precisely that dichotomy. And I, I'm just, ugh, you know, I, I, I hesitate and dread um, how they're going to introduce this character um, and what they're going to do with her if, if they end up uh, picking this thread back up and, and doing a born-again-inspired story for, for probably half of season three. Yeah, I think you're wise to not mention the name of what that is. I think that that's a interesting insight. Um, yeah, I... I, I'm, I'm there with you on that. Um, I do think, actually, I'll give the show credit about one thing. The show, like, in the comics, Karen Page is either treated as a cipher, uh, who's, a, who's like, you know, a Madonna figure, and, or once they decided to make her complex, they treat her as a, quote, fallen woman, quote. This shows Karen Page, even though she is an uh, unrealistic journalist, um, she is not falling into either of those categories. Um, I think that she, her attraction to Punisher is partially, I think she identifies with him. She's like sort of turned on by him, I think on a certain level, but it does stem from her identifying with him because she had to shoot somebody in season one. And she hasn't mm-hmm. spoken about that to anybody. And we know that she's guilty for some death of somebody, like something, possibly a car crash. It's unclear from the newspaper reference that they make. Um, who exactly? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it was but like, but um, I was a little, I was a little surprised they didn't make that explicit. Um, that that like 
she just doesn't really articulate reasons beyond the fact that she knows that, that the Punisher was shaped out of this horror, why she finds herself um, empathetic toward him. Um, and, you know, you, you make this great point about her having to shoot Wesley um, toward the end of season one. And, you know, they, that, that would have just been worth like one scene's worth of dialogue that she sees some, you know, perhaps not, not entirely, but, you know, some merit in what the Punisher is doing and his ability to distinguish between um, the people who he believes he must kill versus the people he believes um, he'll, I mean, he doesn't save anyone, so he leaves people alone, I guess, is, is the distinction the Punisher makes here. Um, but, like, you know, give, give me some more substantial basis, um, aside from plot necessity, for, for why Karen um, identifies to some degree with the Punisher. I assumed it was something that happened before season one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he definitely has, like, I think it contexts to that and her um, missing, confused past. But I just yeah. do think that the show, the show, I've heard the show criticized by critics who don't like it, saying that the, fem- the female characters are all like damsels in distress. And I'm like, no, literally none of the female characters are damsels in distress. Like one of them is an Orientalist stereotype, in my opinion, and is treated as a standard femme fatale. But um, Karen Page is not a damsel in distress. And certainly yeah, Rosario Dawson is not a, a damsel in distress. Go ahead. What was that? No, sorry. I didn't interrupt you. Um, I, um, I also wanted to point out that there was that great scene, I want to say, in either episode seven or eight, when Matt tries outside of the courtroom to treat her as a damsel. And Karen is just like, you know what? Get away from me. Like, mm-hmm. I, don't know what I, saw, I don't know what I saw in you. You're, you're clearly um, a self-obsessed person. Um, and I just don't want anything to do with you. And I thought that was, that was a, a great way of, of just sort of exposing um, how much bullshit Matt has put into this, this self-preservation of, of, um, of his Murdoch identity versus his Daredevil identity. And then it's interesting is that the very last scene we have of the season is him revealing himself to her and her looking in, about to say something and then she doesn't say it, but she looks intrigued because she is attracted. It's like if he had just come out as Daredevil to her, she would have been like, okay, like, you know, she's completely okay with this vigilante thing. Like she doesn't want to be and she knows that she's like, she struggles with it intellectually, but she, it resonates with her on an emotional level. Yeah, I don't really understand why Matt did that, except because they need her to know his identity. If they're he wants to win her again. I'm sorry. He wants to win her back. That's why he revealed himself because he realized that that's the only justification. Now that Electra's dead, I mean, not really. No, now no, that no, Electra's no, no, dead, no. he wants no, to. No, no, no. Want... I mean, sorry. I, 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 under, I understand that on, on a surface level. I mean, I just don't. I just don't buy it. And and I can't really huh. think of a of a reason why the show did that aside from if they're going to do born again, they need her to know who Daredevil is. Yeah. I think that's, I, I see my thing was, and I go back to what I said in the beginning is like the, this compare also mixed with the first season. It feels very Batman to me. And in the movies, Batman seems to be an idiot and keep on revealing who he is to, you know, the woman at, you know, towards the end of the film. 
um, yeah. instead of keeping his identity a secret. And I just, I, to me, that was another, like, we're going very Batman with this. That was, like, another, just another example of that that I wasn't wasn't a fan of. Um, I, they, I think they really probably could have saved it a little bit longer, and it might have been a bit more interesting. Like, I'd rather have them just left it and we not know where it it happens like she walks into maybe the office and he's there and they just look at each other and then you just kind of like pan off a bit to me that would have been a little bit more interesting than him revealing hmm i bet yeah like like half her half her you know look she's an investigative journalist they make her lowest way have her find out who daredevil is on her own Mm. like don't make it either matt unmasking himself or um there's some kind of accident where, you know, he's, he's changing at just the right time when she walks in. But, like, she starts thinking to herself, who, who could this guy be? This guy who I've also encountered, who kind of has the exact same build and, you know, probably smell of this guy who I've at least kissed. Yep. She could probably, think, she could probably figure it out. Yeah, have her be Lois Lane who actually solves the, the mystery um, if you're going to keep on with the whole reporter thing. I like that. I like that. It's a good suggestion. I do just want to chime in. One of our listeners tweeted at me, uh, Michael T. Ford, that he noticed that their show very specifically never has punished or kill any black people in Daredevil season two. And, you know, obviously he kills tons of Latinos brutally off screen. And then he kills tons of Asian people uh, on screen who are not really truly treated as people. Um, Well, uh, so uh, think about that. Hold on. So about the the hand. It killed an entire county of Ireland. Well, I want to. So I want to ask about the hand. Do you? Because we haven't brought up zombie kids at all. Um, Are you with me that the zombie kids are like the hand in training? I have like that, no idea what they're doing with that. that. That's I don't the know process they, of them I, I, becoming. I, I just I, I'm deeply confused by this. And okay, I mean it's yeah, another plot just, thread. I, yeah, that was a, a plot hole. Yeah, I mean maybe maybe they'll resolve it. Maybe they won't. Um, I I all I could think of was that there there is some property of the black sky that does that to these kids, and I don't know what they're doing. So. Mm. So my take on it was the kids, the whole, like, sucking their blood out and all that weird stuff was them being transformed into hand, um, like hand foot soldiers. So, I mean, they weren't all Asian, so, you know, we can at least give them that, that there might not have been all Asian folks under the mask uh, that were getting killed. Because there was a bunch of, like, white kids and um, that were getting abducted. Yes? No? I totally I mean, we, we don't know. I mean, we don't know, but I do think that like it's it's reasonable to assume that in an in, in a ninja story where like the few ninjas that have been revealed and the ninjas are working for the yakuza, like which also is insane, um, but also completely daredevil. <laughs> um, so I also don't think they were working for the yakuza. Wasn't that all just a faint on that one as well? Like we all yeah, think that, that they're the yakuza, but they actually aren't. I think that was just a bad, like a whole setup to make us think for the people who don't know who the hand are. And then those who've read comics are like, it's not the Yakuza, it's the hand. Yeah, I think so. I think it was just a, a weird thing. Yeah. 
but I have I no know. idea what these kids are or what they're supposed okay. to be doing or what what you know, I, I don't understand why the hand would need to train more hand ninjas based on some weird blood ritual. Because <laughs> the Punisher um, keeps it, on it, killing it, them. <laughs> maybe, yeah. I've seen if you want. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know. I'm I'm hoping that the the show is just playing some uh, very long game that will resolve itself with. I mean, I guess to the degree that we have any basis for for making some inferences, it's that they did this story in the comics I think in 2010 called Shadowland, which mm-hmm. the the whole is calling to, and which I guess I can see a Black Sky interpretation that goes along with that story. Um, but ugh, I don't I don't really know. Yeah, it's possible. Like the the power that that Matt um, gets in that um, story could be whatever like Black Sky is. I could see that. It'd be a little, so, it's a uh, little crazy, but yeah, I could totally see it. They refer to Black Sky as a what and as a who, and it was referenced right. in the earlier season. It's not consistent. Maybe they don't know. Like by they, I mean the writing team. But doesn't... I, yeah, oh, maybe, maybe they haven't made this decision yet, or maybe they you know, want to play off some unreliable narration or, or some misdirection. Um, I think it's interesting. I don't want to spoil Shadowland, yeah. um, but I, I wonder if um, there was a, there's a speculation um, on, a, on a podcast I really like about comics and comics adjacent culture called The Thought Bubble um, that, that talks about if there's going to be um, elements of Shadowland appearing here, it might be that that means that the, uh, the big villain of the Defenders team up might be Daredevil, which I think would be an interesting way of, 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 uh, of playing with that universe. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It would be different. I don't think it's what anyone expects. That's a really interesting idea. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Among, among the characters in Shadowland who have to go up against Daredevil um, are Power Man and Iron Fist. Yep. Sure. So, you know, there, there are some ways of, of taking the existing characters. I would love to see Jessica Jones just punch the shit out of that bird up. Oh, my God. <laughs> I guess one thing they Aww. also kind of did, they, they did pretty well um, in, in season two, particularly in the episodes um, where Punisher has got him chained up or, like, he's talking with Stick, he's talking with Electra, and he just doesn't understand. Like, Matt Murdock was kind of in over his head a lot this season um, and, and, like, wasn't totally able to talk his way out of it or even know how to think his way through it. Yeah. Um, it truly seems like it never occurred to him, like even after getting sliced up by Nobu so much in that amazing season one, episode nine um, fight scene, that like there might be a psycho who will chain you up on a roof. Like, <laughs> will either will either make you kill him or make you kill someone else. But, and this is also, you know, a universe where Matt Murdock is playing in where like the Avengers are real. Uh, the Chitauri invasion of New York happened. Like, all of this stuff that Daredevil, if he's not totally deluded, and maybe that is ultimately where they're going with the character, um, might want to factor in. 
like you're 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 a guy who has kind of I don't really know what interpretation. I'd be curious what you guys think they're giving to the idea that Daredevil has powers. Um because it's, it's neither clear nor consistent. There's also a great moment in, I think, episode four when uh, Electra like, opens the gym bag and says, like, I brought these clothes for you. And, like, Daredevil can't see what you brought. Yeah. Even, like, they get away with that a couple times here. But, like, um, maybe that's just not the greatest writing. Um, but nevertheless, um, it seems like they're not totally sure how, how far they want to press the idea that, that Daredevil is, is supernatural or not. Um, but, you know, Matt, Matt's kind of in over his head now here, and I imagine that, you know, when he ultimately gets into a world where, like, a guy can harness chi to the of having um, an iron fist or this guy that he meets who's a private investigator um, has unbreakable skin, and this woman that he meets, who's also a private investigator, um, is super strong and can kind of fly. Um, it, it might really dawn on him that, that he is, in fact, totally out of his league. And hopefully, Misty Knight will have a robot arm because that's important. She's got to have the bionic arm, dude. Which yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's not Misty unless, unless, the, unless she's, you know, the $6 million woman. And it's what not fair if she doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, we we really should have, like, a super-powered black woman in the Marvel Universe. Marvel Cinematic Universe, I should say. I, th- I mean, we're, we, we've got to get that. I think, like, all of the indications from, from just that one amazing trailer to Luke Cage oh, that we have so now, good. They're, like, they're, they're, they're being real fan service with this one. Yeah, I mean, that, that trailer actually is the most exciting trailer I have seen for any of the shows. Period. The Luke Cage trailer. I may have. I probably squealed. I wanted to be kind of mad that they didn't have a Harlem rapper, but like, you know, maybe look is a song that really works for the vibe of that that scene. Hmm. That's an interesting point. Definitely yeah. a point I needed you to make because I would not have been able to make it myself. <laughs> Somebody was about to say something. Well, I was going to say before, uh, something that kind of got dropped, kind of speaking of Matt's powers, in the beginning, they, they he has some issues, and his powers kind of go out of whack. And then it just kind of, like, clears up, and they touch upon it, like, one other time. But it, to me, that was another thing that was, like, so much potential, and then nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the I'm, hearing, his hearing was damaged, and I thought they yeah. were just going to come back in a way that was going to really be har- harmful for him, and it just never really went anywhere. Yeah. So I'm hoping they actually use it in the next season, but, you know, I, I think that's our, our theme for a lot of this stuff in this season is, well, hopefully it's used in the next season. Yeah, and it's like anyone that would have had uh, Daredevil countermeasures it would have been electric stick, right? Like they know exactly what his, his capabilities are. They know, they would know exactly how to confuse them. They would know exactly how to throw them off. You know, you get, you know, get in the cruise. Hello? Hello? Oh, Spencer dropped. All right. No, Spencer dropped. 
Oh. Get an acoustic weapon, I think he was going to say. I'm going <laughs> yes, I'm... I'm to presume that that's what he was going to say, because I agree. That's something that you think they'd have in their arsenal if they're really – like, all the fighting between the three of them didn't make any sense to me. Like, what was their goal there, and what were they trying to achieve? It was, it, it was like the, the most pointless fighting. And, yeah, if they had a sonic weapon, I would at least be able to take it somewhat seriously. Or um, you'd think the Punisher would have had a sonic weapon because the dude's smart enough. All right, Spencer back. Oh, there he And is. he's back. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I so I, I know. No, it's okay. I mean, I know we have to wrap anyway. But yeah, we were disagreeing with you that you'd think they'd have a sonic cannon or some sort of sonic weapon. Since, but th- them fighting each other never really felt like it was a committed thing in the first place. So. Yeah. It seemed almost yeah. like we have to fight each other for some reason, and. Because it's a trope you know, in comics. And yeah, exactly. And then we're gonna fight, and then we're gonna team up, and then like, yeah, it was right. sort of like there they go. I guess they're gonna do it, and it made no sense. Uh, and if the fight choreography between the three of them had been really interesting, maybe I would have found it to be more forgivable. It was fine. There, there's no bad fight choreography, but it's not like they turned the fight between the three of them or the various mashups of the two of them versus the others into anything particularly noteworthy to the point where it justified randomness. And an unbelievable conflict. I thought yeah. this show in the second season did did so many things right that I'm willing to overlook the weakness of the ending in the hope, which I think is justified given their track record at this point, that the next season or Iron Fist or the Defenders is going to kind of wrap all of this up and explain it in some way um, that makes more sense. Um, I, you know, I, I, I take all of your, your good points about why you thought it didn't work. Um, I think a lot of it ultimately did. Um, you've just got like certain inherent weaknesses with deciding to do both a Punisher story and an Electra story at the same time. Mm-hmm. And also do, do like the kind of Electra story that that's Electra and the hand. Um, this, you know, on paper, this could have been like a Batman v Superman style train wreck in which there's, there's so much happening and they need to do so much and all of it is disjointed and it never really coheres. Um, and this coheres, I think, fairly well. Um, it, it's definitely not perfect. There's a, there's a fair amount of room for improvement. These, in particular, um, Daredevil, Elektra, and Punisher characters have a tremendous amount, just as actors, of charisma with one another. Um, I bought all of the necessary emotional relationships. Um, I, I, I just found it to be um, a world that is so immersive and, and, and plausible that, and, you know, that, that's quite an achievement given what we're actually talking about here, mm-hmm. that I can overlook a lot of, of, of the bad stuff. Um, Cool. Well, does anybody have anything else you want to say before we wrap? Uh, I'm good. So um, I guess this is it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us again, Spencer. I love having you on. Um, and Brett and I will be back on Monday where we'll be talking with Steve Lieber um, and probably Nick Spencer, uh, who of the new series, The Fix, out on Image Comics. They also did oh, awesome. Wow. Superior Foes of Spider-Man, which was so much fun. That book um, is so good. Isn't mm-hmm. it? Uh, oh, 
yeah, I would I would love if um you know first I, I can't wait to read the fic. It sounds great. Um I like a ton of what Nick Spencer writes. I like seeing that he's you know, getting the push that he's getting um at Marvel. Um I've never cared about Ant Man once and um one of the uh the books that's consistently in my pull list um is, is Spencer's um astonishing Ant Man. Uh, huh. it's great. Yes, yeah, really I actually fun. haven't read it. He actually has, it's, it's he actually has an Uber for supervillains. It's wonderful. Oh wow, that's witty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, I only know Spencer from Superior Foes, um, and I and I and I and I really love um, Lieber's art. I think it's so charming and like classic in all the best ways. So I'm looking forward to them. Uh, um, certainly Spencer, hopefully Lieber, uh, certainly Lieber, hopefully Nick Spencer too, having him on. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and um, I'm actually going to be a guest on another podcast. I'm going to be a guest on Intuit with Elle Collins to talk about The Warriors, Ooh. everybody's favorite 70s movie, certainly one of mine. So one of the best movies is ever. there anything you want to promote that folks should be checking you out on coming up soon, Spencer? Um, if you guys are fans of incredibly depressing investigative journalism, um, this whole month, uh, on the Guardian, both my stuff and um, a bunch of, uh, you know, you may have heard we've uh, we've got the largest ever uh, data leak from the one percent uh, about um, this this overwhelming amount of material um, about international finance and tax shelters. Um, you can read that all this week at the Guardian, um, and then uh, coming up over the next two weeks, I'm going to be driving myself insane with some. Uh, some projects that I've been working on for for a couple months and, and bringing them to you. So that's at theguardian.com. Awesome. Awesome. Looking forward <laughs> to being enraged and inspired. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, it's very. It's uh, it's something I've wanted to ask you about the entire show, but maybe we'll save it to some other one. Uh, but thank you for well, joining well, us. I, it's always great having yeah, you. Yeah, thank you guys for inviting me. It's, it's great to be on, and um, uh, I would love to come back. Cool. Absolutely. Uh, so for folks who are listening, you can catch us every single day at graphicpolicy.com. Of course, we're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all at Graphic Policy, keeping it nice and consistent. Uh, if you came in late to the episode, want to listen to it again, or it was so awesome, you want to share it with your friends, it will be up on iTunes and Stitcher. A little bit uh, later this evening, and then of course download and upload it to SoundCloud and post to Graphic Policy, where you can check it out there uh, tomorrow. Uh, but as always, thank you for listening. We so until next time, I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. Keep it geeky.